the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. We look at the big issues that are dealing with our planet, our country, our neighborhoods, to see how we might look at them from our perspective of our Catholic values. You know, I was intrigued by one of the readings from Mass this past week, and it's a very, very common reading that we all probably must pretty much can recite from, you know, memory when Jesus is asked about the great commandments and he responds, well, the first is you should love the Lord your God with all your uh, heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I think, and maybe I'll even say myself as a little bit of an example of this, uh, probably when I read that, I say, yep, we have to love God. Uh, and in fact, I won't say this. I'll ask Tom. Tom, when you <laughs> kind of hear that, what? how do you kind of, when you rephrase that, in your own words, how do you rephrase that? Uh, I, I, I think as you summon Siri, it's always, it's the great commandment. So, you know, that's sort of like your goal, right? That's where you want to wind up getting to. So the way I look at it is, is you need to love God. And I think from my opinion and my perspective, you know, God is such an enormous concept. You know, sometimes you look at a sunset and you, and you remember to thank God for it. And sometimes you look at mountains and you remember to thank God, but so often loving God is such a, you know, it, it, it's it's almost esoteric. So I always find the best way I try to love God is by loving other people. And, you know, I think, you know, that's a much more tangible way. I I am, Monsignor, my parents named me correctly because I'm, I, I should be from Missouri. I'm more kind of a show me kind of guy. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I thought you were going to say you're kind of a doubting type of, type of guy. <laughs> well, that's just, I mean, it should be doubting the same kind of thing, you know. So I was like, I don't doubt, I've never, it's funny, I've never, I've never ever doubted the existence of God, but I like, I like the tangibles. So I always think like loving other people is like kind of like a real way, I think, that we find our way through to loving God. At least that's my opinion. Well, Tom, and I think that that's absolutely right. However, however, um, there is the second commandment, which does say, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So there, so there is the first commandment, loving God. So I guess the, the question that I'm asking is, is, and you answered it, but the loving of God part, what does that, that mean? And how do we do that? But I, I guess what I, so let me share with you and with our listeners, what really struck me when I kind of came across this reading earlier this week. The part that I focused on was with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, here's why I kind of focused on that a little bit. I want to focus on it with our listeners today. Because sometimes when we do this religious thing, we kind of concentrate very much on the spiritual, as we should. And so if we look at that, it says, you know, we're supposed to love God with all our soul. And let's just say that is kind of the spiritual part of us, that we love God in that way. But it also says with our heart, Mm -hmm. with our emotions, Mm -hmm. that's something else. And then with our Mm -hmm. mind, with our reason. So when I kind of reflected a little bit more on that, you know, first great commandment, what it seemed to be emphasized is that all of us, our entire human person is supposed to love God and that God recognizes in ourselves as human beings that we're not just souls and spirits, but that we have hearts and emotions. We have mind and reason, and that all of that is what is caught up in our relationship 
with God and by extension with others. Right. And so when we think about that great commandment, it is, I think, taking very seriously the richness, the complexity of who the human person is, who we are as human persons. And so now, Tom, you say, well, what is he talking about? Why is he bothering that? We got a radio show to do. We got to get <laughs> in the waiting room. What are we wasting our time on this? Here's why. Here's why. Because what we talk about in Just Love deals with the heart. It deals with the mind. It deals with the entirety of the human person, not just what the human person does praying in church or facing God. What happens when human people face each other? What happens when we come together as a society? And all of that is, seems to me, brought out by that first commandment. And so what we do in Just Love is to say, wait a minute, our God became human. Our God recognized the complexity, the richness of what it means to be a human being. So whether it be work, whether it be the climate, whether it be tragedies and disasters, all of that is part of our humanity. And that that is what we need to view through the prism of our Catholic values, our Catholic beliefs. So, Tom, to kind of come full circle, that's why we say, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, because there's a threefold reality to being human, not only in our own human persons, where there are emotions, where there is spirit and soul, where there is mind and reason, but our human person relates not merely to ourselves, but relate to our God, we relate to our neighbor. And that's why unjust love, we kind of use as our mantra, well, if you just love God, and you just love your neighbor, and you just love yourself. Well, if we all did that, then our world would be more compassionate, it'd be fairer, it would be more just. So, Tom, will you forgive me for the digression? <laughs> I think and it was I great one, <laughs> Our first guest, Anna Johnson, uh, has not disappeared from the waiting room because mm. I took too long to digress onto that. So, Let's go to our first guest. Our first guest is Anna Johnson, who is the Senior Program Manager in North America for the Laudato Sea Movement. Anna Johnson, thank you for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really an honor to be here. Well, it is, I am delighted. So, um, so, Anna, give our listeners a little bit of your own background. They can only hear your voice. We can see each other on Zoom, but give all this as a little background about the voice that they are hearing today on Just Love. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So my name is Anna Johnson, as you said, and I work for a Laudato Si movement. I um, was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and my childhood home was surrounded by really astonishingly tall pine trees and um Grew up Catholic, uh, going camping as well. And one of the most formational experiences in my Catholic faith was we went to a Catholic family camp in the Baker Diocese, which is in Southern Oregon. And there the bishop would hold mass for us outside, preaching about the beauty of creation, which helped root uh, this call to care for creation in my heart from a very young age. I... Um, Went to the University of Notre Dame, which one senior Sullivan, I know that you have some connections there as well. I do. And um, after that, I served as an overseas lay minister working in Uganda for um, with the Order of the Holy Cross. And uh, when I came back stateside, continued to work in integrating a call to Catholic social teaching and global solidarity in the U.S. church um, through working with congregations of women religious and uh, orders as well of uh, men. And um, as I continued to work in these spaces of trying to continue to work towards uh, justice and global solidarity, just continued to see how the climate crisis, the ecological crisis was driving 
all injustice um, as we went. So, you know, working with um, people in Guatemala and Central America, working for land rights for their farmers when they had lost them, uh, and in a town that used to be one of the most fertile in the country, uh, now has a statue erected to a, uh, this called the migrant, um, because people are leaving to head out uh, as they go. And so um, when they finally get land rights, the land is arid and um, working in Uganda, trying to plant for sustainability and the rains don't come when they're supposed to. And so just seeing how it's driving hunger and everything else moved me to get my master's degree in sustainability leadership and uh, transition into working for Lerato Sea Movement. Hey, Anna Johnson, that is a great summary and I'm delighted so much that you have kind of devoted your life to, you know, so many different ways of kind of making a difference and making our world a a better place. So now let's move to, and again, Tom, and I know you, Anna, um, you know, to you, the word Laudato Si rolls off your lips very easily. Um, But can you tell us what the Laudato Si movement is? Absolutely. Are you trying to tell me not everybody sits down with excitement every time a new papal encyclical is released to read the whole thing front to front to back? Uh, yes, um, I am telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laudato Si movement is a organization, a global movement of Catholics um, working to mobilize around caring for our common home, uh, rooted really in the um, historical teachings of our church. And uh, also particularly in the papal encyclical Laudato Si, which Pope Francis released in 2015, um, trying to marry together the um, Catholic social teaching tenets of subsidiarity along with global solidarity, as uh, we're called to move and respond to the way that the the signs of the times, if you will. So, Anna, Anna, you began to do it a little bit, but you kind of opened your door when you said um, that, do I kind of think that not every Catholic reads every word of these encyclicals uh, uh, through. So there are a few of our listeners who have not. Can you, you know, go back to your teaching days and maybe give our listeners, you know, the three or four minute synopsis of the main points of Laudato Si, and then we'll go on to talk about how the Laudato Si movement is trying to, you know, make those main themes a reality. I would love to. Yeah. So Laudato Si um, really was Pope Francis's take on what's going on um, in the world. And as you read Pope Francis's documents, he follows a continual pattern that we see, especially coming out of, I think, his Latin American roots and how he looks at the realities of the world, which is moving us through an opportunity to see the realities around us, bring it to a space of the light of the Gospels, and then figure out where to go uh, from there. And so within Laudato Si, he talks about, first, what is the background of our church, our Catholic church, as well as the ecumenical and interreligious realities of calling us to action for uh, creation. So we've got scripture, we've got pointings of our faith, of our saints, we've, um, we have incredible witnesses of who's doing work these days around the world. And then, um, and then it moves into a little bit of analysis of what's happening in the scientific realm. So he talks about uh, our sort of extractivist culture. Um, he talks about what's happening with the ways of, of consumerism and what that is driving. Anything from a loss of biodiversity into a sense of um, the destruction of our climate and how that impacts both people and planet. I think that some people think that Laudato Si is a purely environmental encyclical, but that's not true. In it, he talks about uh, what he calls integral ecology, which means uh, care for, we're called to hear the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. It's about people, it's about how we interact with each other, um, and it's about also how we're rooted in creation and how we are perhaps out of right relationship in many ways with creation. So let let, let me stop you for a moment here. Because the point that I think you just made a few seconds ago is is a major point, which I think some of the people who talk about Laudato Si miss. 
that he really does view some of the climate challenges through how they impact the the poor. And I kid Tom all the time for being a tree hugger. And it's and and his perspective is not how well to do, you know, people may be sad because the trees aren't as tall or things like that. His perspective in Ludato C is this is serious business because the impact really hurts the poor more than anybody else. So I would just want to thank you for uh, for raising that up. And if you want to say anything more about that, please feel free. Sure. Yeah, I I love that you pointed that out, too. So thank you for that. I think it's super important. In the encyclical, Pope Francis points to particularly four voices that we are uniquely called to listen to. Um, and in that, he talks about the voice of those who are poor, um, the voice of those who are young. So the people who are going to be left with the realities of this planet, um, the voice of the indigenous, those who have traditionally stewarded the land and um, and continue to do so. And then also the voice of creation and science. So it definitely is. How do we see this as a holistic issue and a really an issue that has many compounding factors and many camp- compounding impacts? So be a tree hugger, but a person hugger, too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Anna, let me um, ask you a question, which um, how do you answer this? Uh, <clears throat> because still to this day. When people talk about threats to the environment, climate change, and even, you know, very recently, you know, somebody called it a hoax. So in the way I answer this question is, we all come from families, we have a diverse set of families, have different opinions, and here's how I say it. You know, there's somebody at Thanksgiving dinner who shares a very different perspective than anybody else. So when somebody says to you, oh, this climate change thing is a hoax, it's just made up, how do you answer them? How do you respond to that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love um, Jesus for a number of reasons, but uh, as I imagine we all do here. Well, that's great. I think that's a, listen, not bad. Good place to begin. And one of the things I think he does continually throughout the Gospels that we can see is that he brings it to the personal. Um, he brings it to the personal story. And so um, when it's talked about like a big global issue and like that it's not real, then I say, well, I know, um, you know, Anna Maria living in Guatemala, and this is her experience of what's happening to the climate. I know Barbara living in Uganda, and the rains have come traditionally the same time every year for generations, and it's generational knowledge, and now they're not coming anymore, and the markets are empty. I know that the sea, that this person is impacted by this. And it's hard to argue with lived experiences, right. I think. So well, reading that in that. Let me, uh, let me permit me to play devil's advocate. Please for a do. Moment. And I would say, okay, yeah, those are aberrations. You know, those are, okay, I agree, agree there. But, but the whole world is, you know, isn't this just made up? Yeah, and that's where I would then maybe maybe start to talk about the science. I do have my graduate degree in this. And so being able to talk about um, the the ways that we're seeing just the massive increase in greenhouse gases and what that does to um, to the climate. But I think what's most important is really rooting it in our own lived experience. So um, we talk about farmers and the way that farmers in the U.S. are experiencing this. We can talk about uh, all the different ways that the people are seeing it's different. Um, and the ways that we've been a part of those conversations. All right. Anna, thank you so much for that. Now, so what are, what are you guys at the Laudato Sea Movement doing about this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're trying to work with Catholics around the world to help uh, mobilize them to care for our common home. And so what that looks like is really um, unique to each part of the world. And people can Uh, discern that based on their own realities. There are some global moments that we particularly try to accentuate. Um, So one of those is coming right around the corner now called the season of creation, which goes from September 1st to October 4th. 
And that is an ecumenical season, but um, we're looking at how do we mobilize that within the Catholic Church and how do we help Catholics come together to hold events and do advocacy work and get back in touch with creation themselves um, in that time and have that move them forward into taking action. So I, I assume that the October 4th date was chosen because it relates somehow to St. Francis of Assisi? Indeed it does. It is his feast day. Okay. And so um, why the season of creation? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in uh, in Laudato Si, uh, Pope Francis talks about the gospel of creation. And uh, even before that, we have popes talking about the importance of creation going back to um, well, a really long time. And, uh, you know, John Paul II, St. John Paul II talked about how his uh, yeah, formation... I go, and I just want to go on record is I'm in favor of creation because if it didn't so happen, glad. I wouldn't be here. So I like the fact that creation happened, okay? So I'm a fan of creation. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we're we're called to have a time of particularly going back to rooting ourselves in that gospel of creation. Um, just like Lent is a season to think about how we're preparing ourselves for the death and resurrection of Christ, um, that there is a season in which to reconnect ourselves to that way that God is constantly reaching out to us in love. And, okay, so now let's kind of cut to the chase. Um, you you kind of work on, in the, the North American region, um, so what are Tom and I supposed to do different to kind of how are we going to stop uh, climate change? What do, what do Tom and I have to do? Absolutely. Um, start hugging trees. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think well, that is important. I can do that. Perfect. Good. Um, I think, yeah, that's the first thing is to just get back in touch with creation around you, you know, spend some time outside. Uh, and Anna, I know you said you were from, from the Northwest went to Notre Dame, et cetera. Just be, people, people don't realize that we cut holes in our concrete sidewalks every now and then, and we put trees in them. So we have trees that we can find and hug in Manhattan. So Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> so what do you want us to do? Yeah, then um, we invite you to, to take action. So our call to action in the United States that we've been developing with a whole host, a whole host, excuse me, of Catholic organizations is we invite you to um, first hold a prayer service outside in a place that has been ecologically impacted by the current crisis. So for me in the Pacific Northwest, that's a burned out forest. For um, my colleague in Texas, it's standing in front of the plant in her yard that burned due to the extreme heat that they're going through right now. Um, for some of our people in the Northwest, it's standing in the wreckage of the tornadoes or the flooding um, in Hawaii, I think we all know that it's standing in the, the burned out realities of what they're facing right now. Um, and so finding a place that has been impacted by the ecological crisis and holding a prayer service there with your community. So then we invite- Anna, Anna, hold on, hold on for a second, because Tom, <clears throat> and I, I kid Tom all the time, but Tom is very, very active in the environmental movement, et cetera. Hey, Tom, do we mm -hmm. have any places in New York that we kind of focus on or consider that have been um, negatively impacted by climate change? Do we have places we raise up? I think so, Ms. Here. I mean, if you think back to all of the places that flooded during Sandy, um, those would be places that are impacted by climate change. So, I mean, every place that had the flood during Sandy, or if you remember last year, it was unfortunate. There was a lot of people in uh, the Brooklyn diocese, uh, particularly, uh, who were living in basement apartments. Many were migrants and they they drowned because of okay. terrible rains. So I think anything in that nature, that's kind of our particular niche. We don't have burning things. We have flooding things here. But okay. it's all part of the same same. Thing. <laughs> OK, so and those are good, those are good things. So we we're going to go hug some trees. We're going to do a prayer service. Kemas, what else? What else should we yeah. be doing? Then we invite you to take a picture of where you're taking a prayer service and um, tweet it at our elected officials who are heading to the next COP, which is the gathering of 
governments around the world coming together to talk about what are their climate commitments um, with the hashtag praying for you, letting them know what you're doing and um, signing on to a petition around trying to introduce um, debt relief also for developing countries to talk about that uh, duality of saying, how do we, that dual aspect of caring for the earth and caring for those who are poorest among us around the world. Okay. So does the Laudato Sea movement, um, do they have a focus on debt relief? We have a focus on um, fossil fuel reduction. The debt relief one is coming from the Catholic Climate Covenant, and that comes through our partnership with them. Okay. Okay. And move to that fossil fuel reduction issue. Are there things from a policy point of view that we should be doing more of in the United States? Absolutely. Um, There is what we call the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty that uh, California right now is voting as to whether they're going to join on to, um, thinking about, are we trying to have a just transition out of the fossil fuel infrastructure that we currently have? Um, And there's other ways that we can be doing that on the legislative basis. And then personally, that means, you know, looking at the funding from the Inflation Reduction Act and thinking about how we can put heat pumps into our homes or change out uh, different aspects of our homes that are particularly energy consumptive, our windows and things like that. So you, you, you alluded to this a little bit and uh, is one of the, one, of the cha- one of the kind of issues that gets raised, which I personally will say I think is a real issue. I'm not saying I have the answer, but it's a real issue. People say, okay, you know, now all of a sudden, maybe not, but all of a sudden, we want to be real conscious of the environment after the developed nations have exploited the environment and they've gotten a huge head start. And so now they can be all virtuous, but we want to impose limits on developing nations who haven't had the chance to get up to speed. How, how do you deal with, with that, um, that issue? Absolutely. And that's partly why the cops have introduced, um, agreements around loss and damage, as well as there's this push towards debt relief of saying we need to have that um, ability for them to conjointly uh, come together. Because there were, recently was a report coming out that some of the um, Global South had to invest in fossil fuel projects in order to pay off the debts that they own to uh, some of the Global North countries. And so thinking, how do we how do we create a system and structure that allows them almost to leapfrog? I mean, when I lived in Uganda, uh, they had completely leapfrogged the phone infrastructure that we have here in the U.S. Uh, you know, there isn't the the wires everywhere around that, but everyone just has a cell phone. And yeah. so thinking, how can they leapfrog into microgrids and solar energy, um, things like that? Okay. Um, you know, one final global question is <clears throat> in trying to move everything in the right direction, it seems that very often the second largest economy in the world, China, isn't on the same page. How do we, how do you think about that? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. I think part of our our work is to say, how are we unifying people around the world? And also how are we leading by example, right? And to think, you know, the U.S. has an incredible amount of ability and it has shown that investing in renewable energies makes us more resilient to the climate impacts. It will make us um, more wealthy over the long run through the investment now. And so I think leading by example and showing how that that can push the conversation forward is really important. Anna, you've been generous with your time. Is there one kind of final idea or thought that you would like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I think part of it is is asking your faith institutions as to what you can do around the season of creation. And so, um, you know, across the country, there are amazing things happening um, to particularly celebrate it. So Cardinal DiNardo in Houston uh, invited all of his priests to host a showing of the letter film, which I strongly recommend you watch if you haven't watched it yet. It's about Laudato Si. Um, and parishes across the archdiocese. In San Diego, they're holding a Feast of St. Francis Trees and All Goodness Festival, where they're doing tree plantings. In Arlington, Virginia, they're encouraging parishes to start creation care ministries. I know uh, right here in New York, there's going to be a season of creation mass uh, held in conjunction with the Metro New York Catholic Climate Movement. 
Um, there will be uh, marches across the country on September 15th and 17th around caring for our common home that Catholics are engaged in. There's all sorts of things happening at the parish and diocesan level. And I think when we come together around this crisis, it helps us move forward knowing that we're not alone in facing this and knowing that we are deeply rooted in our faith tradition and our faith future as we move towards this. So thank you. If somebody, if somebody wanted to watch that film, how can they, how can they find it? Yeah. If you want to watch it on an individual level, it's on YouTube for free. If you'd like to host a screening at your parish or at your congregation with your youth group or at your school, um, you can go to theletterfilm.org. And on that, you can download for free a bunch of resources as well as the screening version of the film, all sorts of things like that. Great. So thank you so much. Anna uh, Johnson, the North American Senior Program Manager for the Laudato Sea Movement. Thanks so much for making me a lot smarter and hopefully making our listeners a little bit better informed about kind of the critical issue of environment, its impact on the poor, and what we can do to positively impact that. Anna, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and thanks for taking the time to being with us on Just Rock. Thank you for the invitation. Excited and grateful to collaborate with you. Great. Um, Just love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world, looked at through the prism of our Catholic social values and our Catholic social teaching. We're going to take a break, and we will be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We speak about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values, whether it be what's going on in the environment or the world of work. We kind of say, well, what do we have to say about the dignity of the human person, how things affect the poor, family? nations around the world, all of those issues we say are important, and the values need to be brought to bear on those issues. So I am delighted that in our next segment, we're going to speak about work. We're going to speak about the particularly wonderful program, uh, or actually two programs, Grace Outreach and Grace Institute, who for many, many years have been making such a wonderfully positive contribution to women who want to work and improve their ability to move ahead in the workplace to get the skills that they have. And so I'm delighted that we have as our next guest, Danae McLeod, who is the CEO of Grace Outreach and Grace Institute of New York. Danae McLeod, thank you so much for being with us on Just Love. Thank you so much, Monsignor Sullivan. It's really nice to see you. Good. I'm going to have one, one yeah. small question. Just Grace Institute. I oversee Grace Institute alone. Okay. Okay. Um, the I I apologize. Oh, it's okay. They're both um, wonderful programs. Yep. So um, so give our listeners a little bit. Let them know a little bit about your background. So my background is in education. I moved to New York and got a PhD in philosophy and wanted to support women entering, you know, strength-based education or work. And so after I taught a little while around the city, I moved into the nonprofit sphere. And so I've been working in the nonprofit world for about nine years doing women supporting work. And that's what I'm really all about in terms of uh, supporting workforce training at Grace Institute. So you have had, you've been at Grace uh, Institute now for about four years. That's right. Uh, You have had, I suspect, an incredibly interesting and chaotic tenure because (laughs) of COVID. I assume that that tremendously impacted uh, how you were able to kind of do the work and fulfill your mission. That's right. After... 
I passed my first year anniversary at Grace Institute. I was happy to report to the board a bunch of gains at a board meeting that then was in March, and we closed everything down from that point in 2020. So we are we have been uh, an in-person workforce training program. At that point, it was 123 years, and we had a few months to figure out how to shift that over to virtual life. And I have to say, the quick learning and the skills building that we did both as a staff and with the participants is something that helped us move light speeds ahead in terms of serving the women that come to our program. We transitioned it into a virtual program. So we started training women virtually in New York City. Uh, What that meant, as everybody could kind of imagine, given what we learned in the pandemic, was that we had to provide technology to a a lot of people. We had to help a lot of people get internet access since lots of the women that we served didn't have that. And we all had to learn how to train online for jobs that aren't necessarily virtual jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we learned a lot and we're still doing a version of that. We do hybrid learning right now. So we train in person and remotely. So I thank you for that. Um, And I don't want to focus um, much on that because I think What I'd like to kind of hear you talk a little about is, so tell me what Grace Institute does and tell me how the work is going these days. Sure, I would love to. So Grace Institute was started in 1897. It's a longstanding workforce nonprofit in New York City. For 126 years, we've served women in New York City, and that looked a lot different than it did in the 1800s or even the 1900s. but we've always maintained the focus on workforce, which means we're training women to get better jobs, career-letter jobs, economically secure jobs. And we've, at the beginning, we were working with Irish immigrants. We were founded by W.R. Grace, an Irish immigrant who made his fortune in New York City. And our through line has always been to support women who are immigrants, who are un- unemployed, underemployed living below the poverty line and who need a lift up in order to get a good job. So what we do is we bring in three cohorts per year of women. We train them in two different focus areas. One is a medical oriented focus area. Uh, So we're training people to get jobs at doctor's offices. And the other is our administration focus. So both jobs are pretty heavily administration oriented. And the reason for that is We know that those jobs have a regular work schedule, they come with benefits, and it's easy to work your way up the career ladder. So we're taking women who, on average, as I mentioned, earn below the poverty line. That's for us about $6,000 per year. It doesn't mean that they earned $2 per hour working full-time. It means that they were working um, seasonally, part-time, doing care labor, that type of thing. So women are coming to us with lots of experience, usually very little, if any, college education, but with a lot of transferable skills, and they need to be able to perform in today's job market, which often means they need to learn technology. So our trainers work with them to very quickly adapt to the technology that is needed in a modern office environment or in a modern doctor's office or hospital. And then the other large piece of our programming is that we have great relationships with employers around the city, and those employers know that we place really quality candidates with them. And so our team advocates for the women who've completed our program, finds a good match with the right employer, and then supports women while they're in their first year of a job, because we know that that's often the easiest time to to leave or to, to feel like you can't make it. So we're kind of a beginning training program, job placement, and then, you know, focus on making sure people are able to maintain in their job um, organization. We're speaking with Danae McLeod, who is the CEO of Grace Institute of New York. And we're speaking to her about the wonderful program that has now, it is now well over a century old of helping women to advance in the workplace. You mentioned, Danae, that you do three cohorts a year. That's right. how, many, how many women do you wind up um, kind of training each year? 
So this year we'll serve 220. Next year, we're hoping to get to 240. Pre-2020, we were working with about 300 women per year. There's been a shift. It's a good number. Good number. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer, okay? Over the years, I know the quality and the success of the training because we've hired at Catholic Charities a -hmm. number of people for various administrative positions and some of them have worked very, very directly with me, and I know how high quality those are. Um, so brag a little bit. Tell tell <laughs> our listeners how successful your program is. So, you know, we've really been able to, I think, make a mark on New York City. As you're mentioning, Monsignor Sullivan, you know women who are working with Catholic charities, moving up the career ladder. We have women who are at Goldman Sachs, um, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Montefiore, Wells Fargo. They're with some of the largest agencies around the city. Those places come to us because they know we can place a quality candidate in a job and that that person will maintain in that job for years to come and, and be really a wonderful member of the workforce community. And we're also changing women's lives considerably through Catholic charities, we often have a neediest cases story run in the New York Times. And I think one of the cases that really uh, always tugs at my heartstrings is a woman named Sylvie, who trained with Grace Institute over five years ago. She was a flight attendant. She had a disabled child, and it was very hard to take care of her child and maintain that type of work. So she left the workforce, but then when she tried to get a job again, realized she didn't know how to use a computer. So she trained with us. She now has a job supporting, I think, 15 or 16 bankers at Goldman Sachs, making a really healthy salary with wonderful benefits for her children. Um, And, you know, through Catholic Charities and the New York Times, her story was featured. And I think, uh, you know, that's what we're all about. We want women to be able to transform their lives and to show their children um, that they value work and education and um And I think that we've been able to successfully do that for generations. We have women who I meet who are in their 80s and 90s who trained with us and still, you know, credit so much of their, you know, happiness and long-term success to Grace Institute, which I just love. So, you know, Danae, you you mentioned um, the one one example of the the woman who was flight attendant. She had, um, I think, disabled child, et cetera. One of the things that, I know sometimes is a real challenge to people who want to kind of advance and they want training, they want education program, that there's a, that sometimes life gets in the way. Yep. That there's a sickness, there's a death, there's something going on. I, I just have to imagine that, um, that Grace Institute comes across a fair amount of that with the women you're trying to advance. You want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we work with women who are dealing with multiple vulnerabilities in their lives. They come to us and we ask them to share what those are when they join so that we can help them think through them now so that when they get a job, it's not as difficult. But, you know, women from the shelter system are coming to us, uh, people who are experiencing domestic violence. We're dealing with a lot of the issues that I think we know broadly exist in New York City. So food insecurity, housing insecurity, and we try to find a good solution for those women through our in-house casework support. And we start that essentially from the moment we meet uh, a woman, we say, how can we support you? What are your needs? And we work with someone, you know, for the 10 weeks in training, four weeks in job placement, we continue to offer services or refer them out. The hope is that you know, we're all vulnerable creatures living in a world, we help them find ways that they can shore up some security, so that when they get the job that they really want and need, they can stay in that job and, you know, fulfill the goals that they've made for themselves. So again, I want to give you a chance to, to brag a little bit, and I'm going to ask you kind of two kind of statistical questions, like of the number of women who kind of begin in those cohorts, how many wind up actually finishing or as, you know, we would usually say, do not drop out, but they graduate. And yep. then the, the second question I'm going to ask you is, of those who do graduate, how many of them actually get jobs? 
Yep. We have statistics that we're very proud of that we've been, you know, essentially. I was going to give you an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) So we train women, graduate 85% of the women who come to us. We place 75% of those women in jobs. We'd love to pace 25% additionally, but a lot of times people have changes in priorities. Maybe they decide to go to college, et cetera. 75% are placed and 65% maintain their job for a year. So that's 85, 75, 65. Um, And, you know, we work with those women in an ongoing capacity on upskilling for the needs that they have. We just finished our August upskilling. Women will come back to us and say, you know, my job just added a QuickBooks component. I'm not really familiar with that. I'm having to do some advanced calendaring or Excel work. Our trainers will then create little mini modules that women who we've placed in jobs can join us and take part in on their lunch break or after work and continue learning because we know that, you know, making your way up the career ladder is all about continued learning. So I know, since the Grace Institute is in New York, yep, you can't go through any type of discussion like this today without asking the next question as of yet. Have any of the people participate, any of the new asylum seeker women who've come to New York, have any of them wound up at Grace? So we have worked with some Ukrainian refugees. Um, The most recent waves that have come through, I I don't believe we've supported them, but uh, we certainly make immigrant support one of our key tenants in terms of the work that we do, since that was how we were founded. Right, right. Is that your programming? Um, I assume the programming is predominantly or or all in English. It's in English. Yeah. Employers love women with multiple language skills, right. but the predominant language that people are hiring for is English. So that's why right. we deliver our programming in English. Well, everybody likes people who are multilingual, as yes. long as they can get by in the basic language. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That is great. Danae, thank you so much. Um, just know if there's anything special or specific going on at Grace Institute that you'd like to get the good word out, you have an open invitation to come back. Thank you so much. I really appreciate speaking with you today. Um, and I, I hope that the listeners out there look us up. And great. if you want to hire one of our women, um, Click on the link on our website to do that. Or if they know someone who wants to get job training, send them our way, please. Thank you so much. Danae McLeod, the CEO of Grace Institute. Thank you for being with us on Just Love today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I think we'll take a break. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. You know, on Just Love, we talk about a wide range of topics, and I think that is absolutely appropriate, and then I'll end where we began this show. Sometimes we buttonhole religion into a very, very kind of narrow box, and sometimes that even springs over into some of our conversation about freedom of religion, the First Amendment in uh, in political debates. And, you know, freedom of religion is not merely the freedom of belief, but it's also the freedom of the ability to practice that religion. And practicing that religion means more than simply being able to worship. It means being able to participate in society, being faithful to one's belief, being faithful to one's values, and that there needs to be room in the public square for that to happen. 
And so when we talk about the incarnation, when we talk about the humanity of Jesus, there is the affirmation of that humanity in all of its complexity, all of its richnesses, and all of its messiness, that its body, its soul, its mind, its heart, its flesh, its blood, it's all of that. And so, you know, this week we spoke about two topics that are critically important. You know, the climate. All of us, as we talk about, have the same mother, Mother Earth, and how that Earth evolves and how it's taken care of impacts everybody. And as we heard, um, Laudato see the encyclical of Pope Francis particularly wanted us to pay attention to how it impacts the poorest among us. And so that is a critically important issue that is important for us to pay attention to. And then the other issue, which is critically important to is work and delighted to hear about how Grace Institute is successfully working with women to help them to advance in the workplace moving up in their careers, getting the skills needed to succeed in a variety of ways. And that is critical. And I'll just speak a little bit personally. You know, we've had this tremendous influx of asylum seekers into New York, and there's been a lot of discussion about it. But I can tell you, both from my own experience and some of the data that I've looked at, they overwhelmingly are here to work because they want to be able to support themselves and their families. So whatever can be done to help individuals to work, work well, work decently, have decent wages in order to support themselves and their families, that's what we care about from our Catholic belief, because that is at the core of what it means to be human and how we respect, protect, foster the dignity of the human person. Thank you for being with us on Just Love, Just Do It. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Our weekly conversation about the church and the world. Join us again on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 